this week, uh, we are going to tackle the third shortest book of the Bible, which is a letter from Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon, which is like the American common pronunciation. Uh, if you really want to get technical, technically it's Philemon, but we're going to go with Philemon because that's what we're just used to saying here in the U.S. How many, anybody here have never read the book of Philemon before? Be honest here, a few. Okay, I see a few honest people, a few dishonest people. Now, what's Philemon all about, this letter? Well, in these 335 words that Paul writes to this guy named Philemon, uh, though it never uses this word, the whole topic is forgiveness. It is all about forgiveness. And I figured with Thanksgiving coming up this week, we are going to be seeing a whole lot of extended family members. So forgiveness seemed like a really timely topic to get you all prepared for that week with family. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not going to read the opening verses uh, of this letter. Uh, I'm just going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to highlight them for you. But he opens up this letter to Philemon, and he just expresses his joy and his love for the work that Philemon and the people who are with him are doing for the Lord. Uh, and, and, and he's just so thankful for them as he prays for them. And then after all of these customary greetings, he gets to verse 8, and this is where I'm going to read the meat of the letter. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be, not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. <coughs> Sorry, I coughed. It's just a common cold I had this week, not COVID. I'm just getting over it. Just warn you now. That's why my voice sounds off and I apologize for any of you in the first two rows that get sprayed with anything. It's all right. The Lord will count it to you as righteousness. I, Paul, where am I at? I lost my spots. Here I am. Where am I? I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will even repay it to say nothing of your own, of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. I got to tell you, I don't mean to make light of COVID, but one of the things I really miss about COVID is not getting sick. Anybody remember that? When you didn't get sick for the longest time? Those days are now over again. I'm reminded of how desperately painful man colds are scientifically proven to be worse than woman colds. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't care what my, my wife, the nurse, says. All right. Philemon. 
Have you ever like sat down and somebody's watching a movie and you come into the middle of the movie and you don't know who the characters are, you don't know the plot, you don't know anything that's going on and you just kind of had to figure it out? This is kind of what the, like the letter of Fileman is, it's like reading that. It's kind of like that kind of movie. And so I'm going to give you just a little summary of what we just read, uh, just help us wrap our heads around it. <clears throat> Though there are several thoughts on the kind of relationships all these people had, it's most likely agree, agree that Onesimus, which is a very cool name, by the way. If I had another kid and it was a boy, I think I'd want to name him Onesimus. Because if you shorten his name, you could be the one. Imagine going around and be called, I'm the one. I just think that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, some of you get that. I get that. I appreciate that. Some of you don't, but that's okay. Anyway, so at some point, uh, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And he either stole, stole from him, or he did something to wrong Philemon, and it, it appears that he ran away. And then Onesimus crossed paths with Paul, who was in prison for the gospel, and Paul ended up leading him to Christ. And then Onesimus helped Paul for a time. And now Paul wants Onesimus to go back to Philemon, and he wants Philemon to accept, to receive him back. Now, before we can learn what we can, before we can figure out what we learn about forgiveness from this text, Someone might ask, why would a Christian send a slave back to his owners? Which is a fair question. Now, I've preached on this many times, so I won't go as in-depth today, but when we, when we think of slavery, we tend to think of the tragic and appalling history of slavery in our country, and, and we should think of it as a tragic and appalling, because that's what it was. Now, even though Roman slavery was not just based on race like it was in America, it was in the same way, in, in some ways more, it was brutal for some, <coughs> but it was not brutal for all. Um, some slaves lived very well. Uh, some slaves chose slavery because they were in poverty, and so they went into slavery to pay off their debt and to be provided for. And they didn't all serve in, in hard labor. Some were house servants, some were homeschool teachers, some were very uh, well-educated. So a much wider range in varying degree when you talk about slavery in Roman times. Even though it was difficult, some slaves could even buy themselves out of slavery. Now, we're not sure how Onesimus became a slave. Uh, we're going to assume his conditions were good since uh, Philemon was a believer, and Paul doesn't seem to talk about that. But this still doesn't explain why Paul didn't dis, you know, explain a, a disdain for slavery. You know, and this is an issue for some people. One of the keys to understanding the Bible is we, we tend to look at it as, as one book with one author. And really, in reality, the, book, the Bible had over 40 authors, and they all had individual purposes. And the key to understanding the Bible is understanding the context of each book. For example, Philemon is a letter. It's a personal letter from one person to another, which had a specific purpose. When, he, when Paul sat down to write this letter, it's not like he was thinking, well, I better make some statements about condemning slavery so that a couple of thousand years from now, uh, you know, um, some American church doesn't think, I think slavery is okay. That wasn't on his mind. He was thinking, here's what I want to communicate about this relationship between these two people. <coughs> Not to mention that Paul had to be careful about what he wrote. To speak against slavery is to speak against Rome. And, and if he wasn't careful on how he wrote his letter and the purpose of his letter probably would have never made it to Philemon because they would have shut it down. But we do see in this letter that Paul points, as he does into other letters to other churches, a greater relationships that he hopes for people to have. He points to relationships that go beyond slavery. He says, and to this one, to brothers in Christ. 
And so the seeds of slavery being defeated in human history was within Christianity, how we view one another, even if he doesn't specifically address it in its totality here. But for this relationship to take place the way that he hoped for it, forgiveness had to take place. And forgiveness, I think, is an important topic for us all to talk about because we live in a very egocentric society, which probably can be said about all societies. I feel like we care a little about forgiveness nowadays. Everyone seems to be looking to punish each other. You know, from cancel culture to our lawsuit happy nation, we need to be reminded about forgiveness. I mean, and even if you zoom in from society to our personal relationships, I have no doubt that the number one cause of broken relationships is a lack of forgiveness. I mean, how many, you know, families, I mentioned they're coming up, how many people in your families are not talking to each other at all? Sisters, brothers, cousins, parents, grandparents, no communication, or the communication's really poor. And how would those relationships change if someone was just willing to display forgiveness? And this is a problem not with just non-Christians, it's a problem with Christians as well. I mean, as Christians, we love to sing and talk about forgiveness. But as C.S. Lewis says, that we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Amen to that. <coughs> I promise it's just a cult. <clears throat> now, I think one of the reasons that we have trouble with it as Christians is we focus a lot on the forgiveness between us and God. We focus on what it's like to have a right relationship with God, but we don't focus on what it means to have a right relationship with one another. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at the few things that Paul points out and how to have right relationships with one another. Now, the first thing I need to, think we need to do to get to this place is we have to understand our roles as Christians. We have to understand our roles as Christians within relationships. And this is something I don't think about very often. Now, I'm going to guess maybe you don't either. Matthew 5, 9 in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of who? Of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And this is what this letter is all about. Paul is trying to make peace between these two people. You know, and I, I was working on this message yesterday, and I was reflecting, and I had to ask myself, and I don't remember if I've ever asked myself this question, am I a peacemaker? Have you ever asked yourself that? Am I a peacemaker? In other words, do I help people come together in light of God's truth? Do I help people have healthier relationships in light of God's truth. Sometimes I feel like it's so easy for us to just take one side or another. It's almost like we can default to that as opposed to saying, well, let's see what God's word says and how can we bring these two people together? Have you ever asked yourself, are you a peacemaker? We could do a whole sermon on this topic alone. But mediating on behalf of others is an important function of the Christian life. He says here, Paul said, I'd like to have kept Onesimus by my side. But he goes, I'm going to send him back to Philemon. For he will do nothing without his consent. And this is a significant thing. Like Christianity, and when I talk about being a peacemaker, doesn't making, you know, like everybody just to be happy, right? 
Christianity is not trying to help people escape from their mistakes or their past or to run away from it. That's not how we find peace. It's enabling them to face the past and to rise above it. And that's what he's doing here. Onesimus is going to have to face his past. He's going to have to go back and face the consequences for whatever it is that he did. He's going to have to accept them, to rise above them. The same with Philemon. Christianity has never escaped from the past. It is a conquest of the past. It is working together in light of God's word to make peace. I mean, and and look how Paul goes about it. He says, man, even though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. In other words, I could, I could order you what to do, but I want you to understand what's God's word. And this is how we create authentic peace in people's lives. We say, look, this is what God's word says. Here's what he says to do. And then allow people to choose if they're going to follow God's word or not. See, that Jesus always does this. He said, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You choose whether you're going to follow me or not. And this is important Because when people make the choice to do the right thing and are not forced to do the right thing, it represents heart change. And that's what God wants. He wants our heart to change because when our hearts change, then the obedience comes. And so my prayer is, if nothing else, as we go into the holidays, which is full of people and incidents that lack peace, we will be reminded that we are peacemakers that we will be bold enough to present God's truth in a loving way for love's sake to give people an opportunity to choose him. Amen, church? Peacemakers. I'm praying right now. I was praying yesterday all throughout this holiday season. When that trials come and you don't want to have peace, you want to go to war, you'll remember that. Blessed are the peacemakers. In fact, maybe we should do a series on the Beatitudes. Favorite person of mine suggested that a couple weeks ago. I'm thinking it's a good idea. All right, so what Paul, does Paul do after this? How does he convince? What are the arguments that he lays down for forgiveness to Philemon? Okay, first one, he founds at the end of his letter, I want to point out. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Notice he says, I know that you will feel like forgiving him. He says, I am confident of your obedience. Forgiveness is never supposed to be based on how you feel about forgiveness. Because I'll tell you, most of the time, you don't feel like forgiving, do you? No, you feel like punishing. In fact, you think about punishing. You think of all the ways to punish, and then you feel joy from that. Come on, I know I ain't the only sinful one here, right? Let me just stick it to them, and then I'll forgive them. That's what we feel. But God's word... Paul, in this moment, he says, forgiveness is based on obedience, period. Obedience to who, Paul? No, obedience to the Lord. The phrases that keep coming up in this letter are in Christ, in the Lord, unto Christ. Our problem is we base forgiveness on how we feel. On how we feel or what we perceive. How we feel about the other person or the fear that we have of forgiving them. This is one of the reasons that slave owners uh, never wanted to show mercy to their slaves because they were afraid that it would cause them to look weak and there would be an uprising 
Some Roman historians will talk about this. But Paul says, your fear, your feelings, not a part of the equation. Doesn't matter. What matters is your obedience to the Lord, period. Only part of the equation that matters. No ifs, ands, buts. Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I don't see nothing about feelings in there. He said, this is what you do, period. If you are a Christian, forgiveness, unforgiveness should not be an option for you. Unforgiveness is rebellious. It is a blatant and open act of disobedience against your God. And and this is not just for people who ask for forgiveness. Jesus on the cross, what did he say about those who were murdering him? Father, forgive them. Stephen, we talked about him a few weeks ago. He is about to get stoned. Giant boulders and rocks are going to throw at his head until he's dead. And what does he say? Father, don't hold him against him. Forgive them. Forgiveness is a command of the Lord. Period. Period. But this is easier said than done, isn't it? Way easier said than done. And so I'm asking myself, like, how as a Christian do I get to this place to be able to do that? And I think one of the things that helps us get to that place is, is to, to figure out where, what we're focusing on. When an issue comes up and forgiveness is at stake, what are we focusing on? <coughs> if Philemon was like the rest of us, he might have been thinking about what he had lost, Right? He might have been thinking about what was stolen from him, if something was stolen from him, or or the wages, whatever kind of thing got cost or taken from him by Onesimus running away. That's where his focus would be. And I think that's where our focus is normally at. It's it's what has been done to us. But, But Paul shows him, hey, let me show you where your focus should be. Verse 17, he says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Watch this. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Paul is saying, don't focus on what has been taken. I want you to focus on what has been given to you. And that's what gives us the right perspective to be able to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, a Christian's forgiveness is based, on real, is based on the fact that they have been forgiven. When we realize what we have been forgiven of by the Lord Almighty, it puts in perspective the people that have hurt us. Jesus gives this illustration in Matthew 18. Remember, there's this guy, and he owes the king And the king's about to throw him in prison for the rest of his life. And he says, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And the king's like, you know what? I'll let you go. I'm going to have mercy. And then the king, and then this dude walks out in the street and he finds some dude who owes him a few bucks and he shakes him down in the street corner, throws him against the wall and he has him thrown in prison. Right? 
Remember that? And then, and then the king finds out, and he finds out the dude that he forgave, and he brings him back in, and he said, dude, you blew it, man. I showed you all this forgiveness, and you couldn't show it, and he had him thrown in prison. And it was, a, and it was an illustration that Jesus was showing of, of the forgiveness we are to show to others because of the forgiveness God has given us. And if you remember, you remember in that illustration, the amount of money that that dude owed the king was like, I think it was millions of dollars in today's funds. And the amount of money that that guy was owed by that third dude was like $2,000. And even though he'd been spared millions, he couldn't, he couldn't let this 2000 go. He couldn't forgive it. It makes, and Jesus was making the point, it makes no sense not to forgive when God has forgiven you. Paul says, and put it on my account, whatever he owes you, which is a great illustration of what Christ has done for us. This is a big theological word, make you sound really smart. It's called the doctrine of imputation. To impute means to put on account of. You see, when Jesus Christ died, my sins, your sins, were put on his account. He was treated the way that you and I should be treated for committing tyranny against God, for treason against God, for ignoring him as God, for teaching others to ignore him as God in the way that we lived our lives. But the Lord took it upon his account. And so Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, he can say to the Father, you know what Jeff owes you? The debt that he owes you, I paid it on the cross. Receive him as you would receive me because of what Christ did. And when you understand this, and the totality of this, you realize, if I have been forgiven so much, no matter how painful or how hurtful, who am I not to forgive someone else? We must forgive because we have been forgiven. I mean, Paul reminds Philemon of this debt. Onesimus owns Philemon, he owns him a material debt, but Philemon owns Paul a spiritual debt. Onesimus owns Philemon this temporal debt, but Philemon owns Paul an eternal debt. Paul had shared the good news with Philemon. He led him to a saving knowledge of Christ. This is a debt that Philemon could never repay. And this principle applies to every one of us. When anybody offends us and occurs a debt against us, we should remember the debts that we owe to others. I am a man who stands here in debt of so many, I would spend all day with the list. I'm in debt to God for his forgiveness and his sacrifice. I'm in debt to my aunt and uncle who first told me about Jesus. I'm in debt to Dr. Eric Steinkamp at Northwest University in Seattle, who was a father figure to me and taught me what it meant to be a man of God. I'm in debt to the godly pastors who put up with me. I'm in debt to my faithful friends. I'm in debt to my wife. I'm in debt to my children, who's without their grace or their forgiveness or their mercy or their patience. Only God knows where I would be at this moment. Who are all the people that you are in debt to, who helped you along the path, who showed you mercy, showed you patience, showed you grace and forgiveness? Who are you in debt to that you can never repay? Having received so many spiritual, unpayable spiritual riches, 
without asking anything in return. How can we not forgive these earthly temporary debts? You know, I think Paul, he also, he makes another point that helps us with forgiveness. And it doesn't have to do with how we see ourselves and uh, it has to do with how we see other people. So I'm gonna read this for you, verse 10 here, uh, back to verse 10. He goes, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became an imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and me. So Paul's talking how he led Onesimus, the one, to Christ. So he's now a Christian, and that changes how Philemon should see Onesimus. Sometimes as Christians, we can make the mistake of holding non-Christians to the same standard we would hold other Christians. We make judgments upon them as if they know the truth and as if they live by the truth of Christ. But Paul paints a very different picture about someone who has yet to place their faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 He's talking to the church in Ephesians. He says, here's what you were like before you found Christ. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, Christianity teaches that sin is a disease. It is a sickness that blinds us to God. And when you understand this, it gives you a healthier perspective of those people in your lives, your jobs and your schools and your neighbors who do not know Christ. Because you will hopefully remember what you were like before you found Christ. Because when you are not following Christ, it would make sense you don't follow him because you don't believe in him. So you follow your own path. You follow the passions of your flesh. You follow the desires of your body. You, you follow the desires of your mind, which means you do what you think is right. You don't do what Christ thinks is right because if you don't have a God, then you become your own God. And when you don't follow Christ, you're not gonna follow his ways. Second Corinthians, like I said, tells us that they are blind to the gospel. And I think when you understand this, it softens your heart. It does not necessarily relieve the pain or the hurt, but it helps you to remember they're blind. I mean, if someone comes into my house and they knock over my favorite mug, I'm going to have a different reaction if I know they can see what they're doing versus if someone knocks it over that is blind. It, like you said, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But when you realize they're spiritually blind, that they are lost without Jesus, it softens your heart towards them. Realize that they may not even realize what they're doing. They may realize what they're doing, but they may not realize what they're doing. Because they don't live. They don't have the same identity in God that you do. And, and, and I think even when someone is a Christian, I think we can all attest that the moment we put our, our faith in Christ, a light from heaven does not come down, the angels do not sing, and we reach a perfect place of holiness, like in that moment. Ah, doesn't happen, does it? It is a slow process of us retraining how to live our lives according to God rather than according to the world. And it takes time. And I think when we remember it takes time, it also helps us to be patient with those around us. Not to mention that just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. 
Sometimes we have people who go to church and we're like, how can they act like that? How can they do that? Maybe it's because they don't know Christ at all. Now, if a, if a view of yourself and a view of the other person who hurt you wasn't enough, Paul gives us another view to help us with forgiveness that's based on your circumstances. I mean, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but what is Philemon probably focused on? He's probably focused on what has been taken from him. He's probably focused on what has cost him, the damage that's been done, because that's kind of human nature. When somebody hurts us, we focus on what they've done to us. That's what we replay in our minds. But Paul sees something else. He says, for this perhaps is why he, Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying perhaps there was a divine purpose in this separation between the two of you. I mean, after all, it seems like it wasn't until Onimit, the one, we'll go with that now, just <laughs> ran into Paul that he found salvation. You know what Paul's seeing here? We talked about last week. He saw the providence of God. One of the reasons we struggle to forgive is because we just see the negative. We're short-sighted. We're always just in the moment. We're, we're not always focused on how God is wise and omnipotent and how he can use everything for his purposes. What's the classic example? Joseph, right? His brothers sold him into slavery. He was a snotty, probably punk teenager. But he, his brothers still sold him, they sold him into slavery, which is probably a little bit of a reaction. But then, and he sent him on a really long path of ups and downs, but he ended up like second in command in Egypt. And because he was put into this position, he was able to provide for those same brothers when there was a famine in the land many years down the road. Even when people hurt us, it doesn't mean that God always causes it, but it means that God can use it for his glory. I mean, literally, his brothers betrayed him, and God put him in the, put him in the right place that God was, where God could use him to save the nation of Israel, to save them from starving, which was the same nation that would eventually give birth to who? Jesus, that's right. Stories are like this are important because they remind us, you and I are not in control. The person who has hurt us is not in control. Only God is in control. And when you realize this, it releases this pride that says, well, only bad can come from this. Only, only hurt. There's no hope in this. There's no redemption in this. But when you understand this, you're, you're like, you know what? This hurts. This is painful. But God can use this. God can use this even if it is just to reveal inside of you places that you need to grow. Because I'm going to tell you, nothing will reveal your spiritual nature like when somebody offends you and how you react. I mean, there's times where people have hurt me and, and, and oh, the ugly poured out. Uh, you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? It reveals, and so if nothing else, it reveals to you where your heart is. This is why Isaiah referred to the God as the God who could bring beauty out of, does anybody know? Ashes, that's right. Man, who are you struggling to forgive in your life? Can you see their face? Have you considered the providence of God in that relationship? 
even if that providence of God is for you just to display the glory of God's forgiveness. Last thing I want to mention today is Paul's hope is that you would receive, that Philemon would receive Onesimus back. What does that mean? That means to welcome him back into his family. You know what? And I think that should always be our goal is to receive people back. Now, that, listen, that doesn't mean we immediately trust somebody, right? If somebody who struggles with drug and alcohol, they come here one day and they, and, they, and, you know, they confess they've been stealing to support this habit and, you know, and they want to get right with Christ. We're going to pray with them. God's going to deliver them. But it doesn't mean the very next day I'm going to put them in a leadership position, Right? It doesn't mean there's not changes to the relationship. It doesn't mean when you forgive them that they're necessarily going to change. You know, with Jesus, when he died upon the cross, he died knowing that we would not all change. But what I will say is that your decision to receive them back to the degree that you receive them back, hear me now, should not be based on your anger or your hurt. It should be based on the humility of what Christ has done for you. It should be based on your belief of what God can do in their lives through his spirit. It, could, it should be based on your desire to reveal Jesus Christ to them. It is too easy for us to set people aside in our lives when they've hurt us. It's too easy for us to just throw them away without a second chance. We should always second guess our intentions when wanting to remove people from our lives. This is where it's so important for like Philemon had Paul for us to have spiritually mature people in our lives where we can go to and say, look, this happened. This is what I want to do. Is my heart in the right place or I'm in the wrong place? You should never trust your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above everything else and desperately sick. Nobody can understand it. We should show so cautious when we do not want to receive people back. Always second guess ourselves. Say, Lord, just show me, show me if I'm being selfish. Show me where I'm not being who you want me to be, Father. Help me to, to display your forgiveness because I tell you right now, never are we more like God, never are we more like Christ than when we forgive. You know, and sometimes it's easy to forgive Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's really, really difficult. It's really difficult. You know, Peter, he said, uh, remember he says this, uh, we said Jesus, Matthew 18, you know, he says, Lord, you know, how many times should I like uh, forgive somebody? And he says, you know, up to seven times, you know, and Jesus says, look, I, I say not to you seven times, but 77 times. You know, and, and sometimes it's funny, we think about this as like 77 different occurrences, but C.S. Lewis, he perceptively said this. He says, we need not to forgive our brother 77 times for 77 different offenses, but 77 times for one offense. In other words, forgiveness sometimes is a wrestling with our own heart. And it may feel impossible because to the degree which we are hurt. But we, God calls us to do the impossible. He calls us to forgive over and to over and over and over again. And that as we look to him and ask him for help to do the impossible, he will give us the strength through his spirit to do just that.
that, that we may bring glory to God. Amen, church?